Podcastle episode 202 for March 27th, 2012. The Rugged Track by Liz Argyle. Rated R for F-bombs, because that's the way we roll. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is The Rugged Track by Liz Argyle. Attentive Podcastle listeners may notice that my voice sounds slightly different than usual. I am pleased to announce that in honor of today's story, I have made a wish to have my unreliable human body replaced with a durable and efficient robotic replica. From now on, please refer to me as the MK Hobson Tron 6000. I am very satisfied with the outcome of this wish, especially the titanium tank treads which are way better than human feet though it is very hard to buy shoes now. My daughter, having listened to today's story, is a bit apprehensive about how this will all turn out. But I have told her not to worry, because it is only in stories that wishes ever go wrong. The author of today's story, Liz Argyle, doesn't just write about roller derby, she lives it. She is a non-skating official for the Rat City Roller Girls in Seattle, Washington, where she goes by the name of Betsy Nails. To find out more, visit their website at www.ratcityrollergirls.com. And if you are nowhere near Seattle, you can find a match near you by visiting the Derby News Network at www.derbynewsnetwork.com. Dot com slash bounce. By the way, Liz notes that all the names in this story were checked against the International Roller Girls Master Roster, and at the time of writing, no name was in use. The story is read by Tina Connolly, who I tried to convince to get a robot body too, especially because her debut novel, which is coming out from tour in October, is called Iron Skin, and I thought it would make an excellent marketing ploy. Well, I am sorry to say, she was not buying it. In other news, Tina's idiosyncratic flash fiction podcast, Toasted Cake, has been doing quite well, with delectable little cupcakes of fiction from writers like Kat Rambo, Camille Alexa, and Nebula nominee David W. Goldman. Go check it out at www.toastedcake.com and enjoy the story. The Rugged Track by Liz Argyle Once upon a time there was a plucky young woman called Princess Bite. She loved to roller skate and roller derby was her community. Her mother, Lady Push Comes to Shove, had felt her daughter jamming from inside the womb. "'I had to keep the sound of whistles away from you,' Lady Shove would say. She helped Princess Bite into her aqua and purple quads. "'The slightest peep and you were off, bouncing around my insides like the joyous devil you are. "'The only way I could get you to be quiet was to zoom around the track.' Princess Bite learned to skate as she learned how to walk. Lady Push comes to shove and Princess Bite would hurtle around the track so fast it felt like flying. Princess Bite and Lady Shove skated together every day until Lady Shove's illness made it too difficult and painful. 
Princess Bite loved everything about roller derby. She even loved cleaning up after a game, sweeping the floor with a broom twice her size, coiling cables and emptying endless garbage cans. Princess Bite loved the spectacle, the makeup, the glitter and ferocity. She loved crashing into people and trying to keep her feet when they crashed into her. She loved watching the team's train and playing with the other kids of roller mums. Princess Bite and her three best friends, Icy France, Bido Biffo, and Jugular, took turns pretending to be great jammers and blockers like Queen Cartilage, Snow Fight, and Speed Shark as they waited to grow up and be on teams of their own. When Princess Bite was little, Lady Push Comes to Shove was a coach for one of the nicest teams in the league, the Pussycat Posse. Lady Shove was the second greatest coach of all time, and her former, now estranged, skating partner, Fierce Fairy, was the greatest coach that had ever been and ever would be. Fierce Fairy refused to coach any more. Fierce Fairy's team always won, and that made the games kind of boring. Fierce Fairy also had magical powers and the ability to grant wishes, and that made people uncomfortable. Fierce Fairy had retreated to an island of desolation before Princess Bite was born, out of a fear that an accidental word of advice would change the fortunes of entire teams. Fierce Fairy still logged into the chat room every bout, but never posted a single comment. Still, it was nice to know Fierce Fairy was still watching over them and caring, no matter how far away. Lady Shove had been dying since before Princess Bite was born. At first she had been dying secretly, but as Princess Bite grew older she was less able to hide her slow decay. Lady Shove had encephatic niece, a mysterious degenerative disease that occurred only in men. This was deeply unfair, as Lady Shove had never thought of herself as a man, and she had shed that awkward seeming when she was twenty-five years old, six years before Princess Bite was even born. Princess Bite often railed against the unfairness of it all. Lady Shove would shrug her shoulders and say, That was just the way it was. But it still made Princess Bite very cross indeed, and often quite sad. As Lady Shove's illness progressed, she was only able to coach from the sidelines, no longer skating with the pack to work them through difficult drills and exciting new plays. She had trouble saying words sometimes and developed a kind of stutter that did not give justice to her skills. At times, she would leave the rink to cry in secret, though everybody knew why. By the time Princess Bite was old enough to join the Bacon Boot Camp, Lady Shove needed to use a walking frame to get to practice. Lady Shove was told to get a wheelchair, but she wanted to use her body as much as possible. Lady Shove spent all her energy getting to practice, too exhausted to say a word, and almost too tired to get home. In time she was too tired and shaken to pieces to come to practice at all, and very quickly after that she struggled to get out of bed. Sometimes Princess Bite found her mother collapsed in the kitchen or bathroom, unable to perform the simplest task. One day, as Princess Bite was trying to shove her grown-too-big feet into her beloved battered skates, her mother handed her a clumsily wrapped box, the thick ribbon lopsided and drooping. Here said Lady Shove. You're... you're almost full-grown now. Lady Shove sat down, the hand that trembled the most pushed down by her steadier hand, as she watched Princess Bite open the box. Princess Bite removed the lid carefully, the intensity of her mother's gaze making her own hands tremble, and there inside were Lady Shove's best and bravest roller skates. 
Princess Bite ran her finger slowly over the leather. But these are yours. I won't skate again. Skating, it's what you are, it's what we are. Lady Shove looked up and away to the north. I can hardly walk. I will not skate again. And they wept tears that cut their lungs with glass sharp regret, knowing it was the truth, knowing they would never skate together again. The day Princess Bite graduated from fresh meat and joined a team of her own, the Killin' Kittens, was one of the happiest days of her life. Princess Bite was not the best player on the team, but she knew how to go fast, stop quickly, and slide sideways into other people. And most importantly, she loved the game and got better all the time. Princess Bite practiced almost every day and skated everywhere in her beloved quads. Princess Bite's life revolved around Derby, working to supplement her mother's disability pension and caring for her mother. There was no time for anything else but sleep. Lady Shove had bad days and good days. Most good days led to worse days of exhausted recovery, and Princess Bite grew to fear the good days as much as the bad. When the Killin' Kittens, with Princess Bite as co-captain, and the Pussycat Posse faced off against each other in the finals of the Menagerie Massacre, Lady Shove emceed the entire event. Lady Shove was resplendent in a wheelchair decked out to be a throne, and her repartee was so hilarious, puntastic, and rippling with sexual innuendo that fans became afraid of drinking, in case beer would spurt out their noses, and a zebra wet himself with laughter. It was a glorious day, written to the annals of Derby history. Using the wheelchair had bought Lady Shove extra energy and delight during the massacre, but surrounded by such fine friends and soaring on the joy of the crowd, she could not help but spend every ounce of energy she had. Only Bite and Shove knew of the long days spent recovering afterwards, days when Lady Shove found drinking barley water almost too painful to bear, and food impossible. Her body ached in a fever dream of constant pain, and she hallucinated that her bones had pushed all the way through her tissue-thin skin. Time passed fast and slow, blurring in heart-pounding lurches, dissolving into puddles. There were exultant days of energy like a skipping stone, hoping to bound to the farther shore of lasting well-being, and days of sinking deep into water, tiptoeing days where Lady Shove's exhausted sleeping form, hidden behind her bedroom door, filled the house with a miasma that made Princess Bite's vision blur, and in Sephatikne seem contagious. Days, months, and weeks became indistinguishable, marked only by Princess Bite's growing body and the giddy punctuation marks of home, regional, national, and international roller derby championships. Princess Bite's only break from her mother's slow disintegration was playing on the Killin' Kittens travel team. They traveled across the country in joyful competition with the sisterhood of Derby, from Radelaide to Razor City. Princess Bite would return refreshed by her travels, and sometimes the giddy pleasure of experiencing a bigger life made returning painful, the duties of a caregiver closing around her, choking out the light and turning love into a vise. On those days Princess Bite hurled herself into practice homicidally, the shake and shudder of flesh slamming against flesh, giving herself a brief reprieve from the shake and shudder of her mother's tremors. "'I'm sorry, baby doll,' her mother would say. Words would come slowly in awkward bursts and roundabout ways, words like round stones stuck in her mouth, 
rolling heavily on her tongue, at last ejected in a burst only to falter again. Princess Bite would blur out the faltering stutter and struggle to find sounds, willing the words into one liquid sentence, the way it was supposed to be. I've been dying since before you were born, said Lady Shove. It was selfish of me to have you, knowing you'd have to put up with me. I hope you don't mind. Princess Bite would squeeze her mother's hand and say in word and gesture it was all okay and she wouldn't change anything for the world. They would lean against each other on the couch, Lady Shove exhausted by speaking, Princess Bite exhausted by listening. One hot and humid day when it was too warm to do anything, Princess Bite was going through old memorabilia, the booties and lost teeth of her childhood, her mother's old team photos of the Pussycat Posse. Princess Bite had many happy memories of flipping through those albums with Lady Shove. They used to curl up on the battered couch on the veranda, exploring moments captured and idly slapping at insects that wriggled their way through the holes in the mosquito net. Not wanting the warm glow of remembrance to fade, Princess Bite delved into the older, stranger, and less frequented photo albums. It was always weird to see photos of her mother as a young man, and very strange to see her grandmother and grandfather as beautiful young people. She laughed to see her mother skating around the rink as a man. She looked so odd and stupid. Princess Bite flipped through the pages, watching her mother's sometimes awkward transition and transformation. Her favorite photo as the joyous end note on the back page of the album was of Lady Shove finally in her true form. The photo was from a championship promotional poster of The Clash of the Titans, the two best teams in flat-track derby going into battle. Fierce Fairy and Lady Shove faced off against each other, nose to nose. You couldn't tell whether they were going to kill each other or kiss. Princess Bite pulled the photo out of the album, peeling back the yellowing plastic of the sticky page, thinking perhaps to scan and duplicate the image, but mostly to hold it in her hands. This was a memento of a time before, when her mother was well and Fierce Fairy had not retreated to an island of desolation. She flipped the photograph carefully, holding it by the edges. On the other side, she saw the looping handwriting of Fierce Fairy. She recognized that distinctive scrawl immediately. That signature exponentially increased the values of posters and cards, and was even tattooed on a few girls. The note said, Dearest Lady Shove, it is not too late to change back. All wishes have their cost. Let me unmake the wish. Let me unmake the consequence. This wish may change your body, but it will take your body too, piece by piece. Please, my dearest friend, if I cannot unmake this wish, I shall leave the track and never meddle in the affairs of mortals again. Abandoning my love, my fondest family, my brutal beauties for shame of it. Please, think it over. Or piece by piece we will lose you. I cannot bear it, and I cannot bear that it will be my doing. Yours, Fierce Fairy. Princess Bite ran to Lady Shove, photograph in hand, her mother's small tired figure reclining on veranda couch, jacaranda blossoms crushed and slippery on the deck. Mother, can we unmake it? Please, we can ask Fierce Fairy, it might not be too late. Lady Shove leapt up and ripped the photograph into pieces. Fragments scattered across the floor, a nose here, an ear there, Lady Shove falling with them. Never, 
She wheezed, her breath harsh as ice. Don't ever, ever suggest it. Princess Bite sat down next to her, mournfully collecting the broken pieces as she sat. I didn't mean to upset you, said Princess Bite. It's the most important wish I ever made. I could never undo it. Princess Bite thought, but did not say, More important than living a life where you can skate and have fearless energy? More important than being well for me? I love you, said Princess Bite, curling against her mother. She felt the evening breeze from the sea come in like cool fingers brushing their temples. Her mother started to say the same in response, but got stuck, and Princess Bite finished the words for her. Lady Shove took a slow, ragged breath and said lightly, If I died, you would be free. Sometimes Princess Bite thought the same thing, and sometimes she woke in a cold sweat, full of fear that her mother was gone, too soon, much too soon. And miss these mother-daughter moments? Are you crazy? Princess Bite laughed. Lady Shove wheezed and giggled in response. They chuckled, holding each other and wiping tears from their eyes until the sun went down, drawing light from the sky on a day that was over and would never come again. The next day at practice, Princess Bite asked if anyone knew which island of desolation Fierce Fairy was on. Icy France said, Now, now, that's not fair, Princess Bite. I know you want to be the best, but trying to get coaching from Fierce Fairy is just not the way to do it. You're not the first to have tried it, you know. Bitto Biffo said, Dunno. And Jugular said, Hell no. Do you think it would be a very good retreat from the world and everything if we all knew which one it was? If Fierce Fairy wants to be left alone, you leave Fierce Fairy alone. The following day, Princess Bite shaved her head and told her mother she was going to train with the skating nuns of Fa'away. Her mother squeezed her hand and said, It's good. It is time to have a life of your own. Princess Bite bit her tongue and did not reveal her true motive as she prepared to travel. Jugular, Bitto Biffo, and Icy France, seeing the burning need in Bite's eyes and cracked voice, swore that Lady Shove would never go without care, even if it took the whole league to do it. Princess Bite's heart rattled as if filled with blown ball bearings as she skated out into the world to find Fierce Fairy. She swore by the sky above, the speed in her skates and the rugged track before her, she would save her mother, no matter the cost. Princess Bite skated across mountains and deserts, slippery ice and salt-encrusted sand, catching the ferries, trains, and buses out to the multitudinous islands of desolation. Sometimes she slept underneath the sky. When she got to cities and towns, she stayed with women of roller derby, who always found space for her somewhere. They fed her, helped her repair her skates, played in a scrimmage or two, and then she would go, looking for the right desolation. She became a skater of legend, mysteriously appearing and disappearing as she traversed the globe. She won Queen Cartilage's shield at the terrible tourney, saved Snow Fight from the pernicious East Coast Plate saboteurs, and helped Speed Shark return the horrible harpies to their former glory. Sometimes Princess Bite visited in a town with skaters so fine and friends so dear, she was tempted to stay a while, and sometimes she did for a short spell. But regardless of the friendship and the wrench in her heart at leaving, 
she always left in the end. She had sworn by the sky above, the speed in her skates and the rugged track before her, that she would save her mother, and so she would. Most Wednesday she wrote to Lady Shove, care of the sisters of Fa'awei. Less frequently she wrote to Icy, Biffo, and Jugular, thanking them for the care they gave her mother. Fierce Fairy remained elusive, never answering her messages in the chat-room, leaving no imprint upon the world but a taunting name and a blurry icon. Every evening Princess Bike crossed out the island she had explored in vain and planned her travels for the next day. Her map grew thick with crosses, islands off every coast, crags jutting sharp-toothed against time and tide, rounded mounds soft with sea-grass, islands of black sand, of yellow, of red coral, and of tangled jungle, islands of drowsy sheep, and of sharp-keening seagull. In time she expanded her search to more generous definitions of island, islands on oases and deserts, islands of rock and verdant wilderness, islands made of concrete and cable. And eventually, after every part of her skates had been replaced more times than counting, she found Fierce Fairy's island of desolation. A message was sent to her on a replacement pair of shoelaces, one long scrolling set of instructions. Signed F. F. The island was in a small pond, and on that small pond there was a crooked fig tree, and on that crooked fig tree there was a withered fig, and in that withered fig was a fig seed striped black and red, and in that red and black striped seed was a small quiet cottage, surrounded by combed, rippled sand. Princess Bite's footsteps left ungainly smudges in the sand, her skates tied by their laces and looped over her neck. She made her way to the home of the League's greatest coach. Princess Bite knocked on the door, and after a time hammered, and a time after that kicked, with steel-capped boots. Eventually the door swung open, smug on its smoothly oiled hinges, and Princess Bite stepped inside. The small quiet cottage was spacious and clean. The glittering polished floorboards were smoother than any rink. Picture frames festooned every wall, and in each frame a different bout played. In one frame the Pussycat Posse played the Cowgirls of Annihilation, the image blurring as the download struggled to keep up with the game. In another frame, the Kellen Kittens played the Beatniks. Princess Bite could not help but pause to admire their form. I watch every game said a soft voice like silk and saffron, like a warm sunny day sitting on the roof and watching the world go by, like nostalgia wrapped in clover honey. Fierce Fairy had not so much aged as become more insubstantial. Fierce Fairy's hair had faded to the last breath of May, curling languidly around long, lean fingers. You hunt for me, said Fierce Fairy. You run from teams that would love you and keep you. You chase me in your dreams, and I cannot sleep. Why do you punish me? Why chase what cannot be caught? I seek you, fierce fairy, to claim back the mother I am losing. The price she paid is too high, and I wish you to unmake it, said Princess Bite. "'Are you that unhappy with your life?' said Fierce Fairy, drifting closer, long hands curious to touch Princess Bite's cheek, rough hands, and bruised knees. 
I always wondered how you would turn out. Fierce Fairy sighed. I am tormented, worn weary by a mother who dies slowly, her life stolen for a foolish vanity. I don't care what she looks like. Shouldn't being alive be more important than whatever stupid body parts she was born with? said Princess Bite, surprised at the heat in her words and how deeply the anger bubbled. A vanity. Why should it matter if she looks male or female? I would rather she live with boy bits than die with woman things. Sever the wish. Unmake what is made and let her live in any body rather than have this one taken from her. Oh, sweet sweets. You don't know what you ask. Push comes to shove made herself a lady. That was not my doing. Princess Bite gasped, like a rude wannabe in overpriced boots was staggering across her chest. What? She wished for you to bear you from conception to birth and beyond. I could unmake you, added Fierce Fairy, suddenly closer, much closer, eyes yellow, pupils triangular. I could unweave all that you are. And weave Lady Shove whole again. Yes, yes, the wish can still be unmade, though more painful now you're as big as you are. Princess Bite felt her heart grind as if full of broken bearings. And yes, I think I hate you enough to do it, said Fierce Fairy with a soft sigh. I have been watching you slowly kill my dearest friend. You've even stolen her skates, eaten up every part of her. You are killing her. No, said Princess Bite. Oh, yes, said Fierce Fairy. Every wish has its cost. A life for a life. I gave, and now I must take. That's how it works. How much time does she have? Fierce fairy breathed deeply, tasting the air from far away. Not much, but enough. Return to your mother's house and find the photo album of red leather and gold etching. Remove yourself from every photo on every page. Cut, burn, tear yourself from the book of memory. And when you have finished, say, I am undone, three times. Then you will die, and your mother will be whole again. Princess Bite skated home slowly, her wheels feeling as if they were coated in molasses. When she could skate no further, she snoozed under elm or eucalypt before rising to doggedly skate on. When she stayed with her derby family, she walked softly amongst them, unusually quiet and distant, strangely reluctant to touch the world. A world that seemed so violently alive now that she knew how she was woven and how she would unravel. Goodbye, she said to each place she passed. Goodbye. Princess Bite did not want to die. She wanted to do and try everything and then to do it all again. But she had sworn by the sky above, the speed in her skates, and the rugged track before her that she would save her mother. And so she would. When Princess Bite got home, Lady Shove was waiting on the veranda, propped up on pillows, 
A large hat and heavy makeup reducing the worst of time's ravages. No, not time, but the price of wishing Princess Bite into the world. Thick sticks of sage and rosemary incense burned in an old cracked saucer beside the couch, masking the scent of withering flesh at the end of its endurance. Icy France, her hair pulled back in twin braids, greeted Princess Bite on the stairs. "'Don't tire her,' said Icy, her own face older and weary. "'She'll put on a show of perfect health if you let her and collapse later. "'There's soup on the stove.' "'Thanks, Icy. I don't know what—' "'I have to rush. We'll catch up later, okay?' "'Sure. Later,' said Princess Bite, the bearings in her heart grinding and pinching her flesh. Lady Shove was surrounded by memories, dog-eared books, scraps from newspaper cuttings, photos, and many letters from Princess Bite's travels. Sitting pride of place on a side table was the thick red leather and gold-edged photo album. "'Hello, stranger,' said Lady Shove eventually, her mouth and tongue struggling to find the shapes. She smiled and pushed books and papers aside to make space for her daughter on the couch. Her hands were bone-white and shook with a constant palsy, but shoving books was still within her command. Princess Bite curled up next to her, as if she were a small child again. "'I am sorry I've been away so long.' Lady Shove made a rude raspberry of a sound, and kissed the top of Princess Bite's head. She wrapped her arms around her daughter, arms as thin as sticks with soft flesh hanging off the bone. "'I swear by the sky above, the speed in my skates, and the rugged track before me,' Princess Bite whispered as she fell asleep in the muddy twilight. Princess Bite awoke alone in the dark. She was stretched out on the couch and kept warm by the diamond-patterned quilt of her childhood. She felt a surge of guilt at her mother taking care of her, and walked quietly across the wooden floorboards to peek into her mother's bedroom. Lady Shove was deep asleep, a pale, lost figure in the bed, the sheen of sweat across her brow reflecting the moonlight. Princess Bite tiptoed away, and, taking a torch from under the kitchen sink, readied herself. Princess Bite opened the photo album and ran her fingers across the frozen images of long ago. Birthday cakes and graduations, funerals and celebrations, scraggly pets and numerous derby bouts in numerous cities. Princess Bite smiled to see pictures of herself, icy France, Biddle Biffo and Jugular running under the sprinklers as tiny tots, managing to keep their feet only as long as they stayed in motion. She wondered... What was so special about that summer day, of all summer days? Why was it the one to be captured and kept? She laughed softly to see her proudly bruised knee, a gap-toothed younger self grinning just above it, so pleased to have her first real skating injury. Princess Bite covered the photographs with her hands, imagined herself no longer in them, imagined her absence, imagined what it would be like to be forever unraveled. She started with a group photo. She was a small head poking into the side of the frame. You'd hardly notice her absence. Just a bit of the corner missing. It was easier to start there, and, if caught, her activities would be easier to conceal. She carved herself out of the image with a pair of nail scissors, ran her fingers along the new, naked edge of the photograph, and returned it carefully to the album. 
She placed her smiling face in a small tin can and set fire to it, watched it burn away to nothing in seconds. She felt a jangle in her chest, as if something had come loose, a taut wire scraping across her insides. She coughed, and hands trembling sought out the next. A team photo from when she was a junior with the killin' kittens, her at the back with pigtails jutting out to the sides, that happy lopsided gap-toothed grin. She sliced herself away, and as the scissors cut through the emulsion she felt a sliver of her life pulled from her throat on a thin red cord. She cut and burned herself out of a dozen photographs, then body drained and head throbbing she hid the album behind the couch and pulled the quilt over her aching body to sleep lest she pass out mid-vandalism and be caught come morning. Princess Bite woke slowly to the sound of voices, the sun a rose-gold against her closed eyes. She heard Bitto Biffo's trademark snort of laughter, and Lady Shove's warm chuckle as harmony. Princess Bite rubbed the sleep from her eyes and padded into the kitchen, yawning and stretching her aching muscles. "'Hey there, sleepyhead,' said Biffo. I'm surprised you slept through me glumphing up the stairs. Tired from travel, I guess. Lady Shove smiled and squeezed Princess Bite's hand. Lady Shove's tremor had eased, and there was a pinkish undertone to her pale white skin. I see asked that I drop by and see if you're all okay. The Lady Shove wasn't all worn out from the excitement. But look at you, said Biffo, turning to Lady Shove. You're looking better than I've seen you in ages. And no offense, Mrs. S., but Icy's always warning me. Conserve energy to this. Don't do too much that. I think a bit of excitement is what we need. What say you? Lady Shove rolled her eyes and winked at Princess Bite. To the roller rink it is, said Biffo. Bite and Biff strapped on their quads and pushed Lady Shove in a rickety cane wheelchair that weighed three times as much as she did. It was impractical and somewhat dangerous to push Lady Shove on a wheelchair while on skates, especially when going down hills and turning corners. But after several near misses and a modest collision with a lamp post, they made it to the roller rink intact, if somewhat out of breath. "'Better workout than you get with those wuss girls elsewhere, hey?' said Biff. Princess Bite smiled and shook her head, bent over and wheezing for breath, her vision pulsing in and out of focus to the rhythm of her heart. "'Oh, come on,' grinned Biff. "'You can't be puffed. We've just started.' "'Course not,' gasped Princess Bite. "'Liar!' "'Catch me, then,' said Princess Bite, and she gave Biff a sharp, savage wedgie before speeding on to the track. "'Oi!' roared Biff as she swiftly readjusted herself and took off in pursuit, accompanied by Lady Shove's riotous chuckle. The day fled swiftly. Princess Bite found that if she focused on the present, threw herself into every activity she could hold at bay the sick, dizzy feeling of slow dying. Biffo and Bite charged through the day like they were kids, kids who didn't fit into half the playground equipment any more. Lady Shove watched them cavort, laughing at their antics, and when she had breath gave a few skating tips to a young, shy, bees-knees teeny-roller. "'You having a good time, Mum?' said Princess Bite. "'You okay?' "'It's good,' said Lady Shove. "'I'm just tired. Have fun.' Lady Shove's energy seemed to collapse in on itself, a sudden change from smiling to wrinkled with pain and handshaking. The sun had scarcely kissed the horizon when she staggered to bed, waving away offers for help. "'Good night, girls.' "'Good night, Mrs. S. I should get going myself. I'll see you next week,' said Biffo. 
Biffo and Princess Bite hugged each other goodbye on the steps. I'll miss you, Biff. You've just come back. Tell the nuns they've got their pound of flesh. I made a promise. Ha! Princess Bite hugged her friend tightly. See you round. Round like a wristle, baby. After Biff left, Princess Bite felt silence envelop the house and veranda. She settled herself slowly onto the couch, every joint creaking, every muscle aching. She set fire to a thick incense stick and blew the end into a burning red ember, and then burned her face away from every photograph. She burned her face from birthday parties. She tore her gap toothed, smiling grin to pieces. With weeping hands, she burned herself from her childhood, from a hundred happy memories. She had sworn by the sky above, the speed in her skates, and the rugged track before her that she would save her mother. And so she would. She glanced at the wreckage around her, fragments of toddler photos mournful and accusing, and could find no strength to speak the words of unmaking. Her deeds wrote themselves in black smudges on her hands and face, and she fell into sleep, the hungry maw of a sucking wound. On the third day home from her travels far away, Princess Spite was scarcely able to move. She opened her eyes reluctantly to the glare, and could see right through her hand, into the bone, and through to the other side. She passed her hand over the floorboards and watched, fascinated as the whirls of wood shifted and changed beneath it. I am a. The words rolled around in her mouth like clumsy marbles. Hi, Annies, I'm home, shouted Jugular as she strode up the stairs. I hope little Miss Biffo didn't wear you guys out yesterday. The steady thunk of Jugular's footsteps thudded to a halt. Princess Bite struggled to sit up, her limbs flopping like overcooked spaghetti. Burnt scraps of paper fell from her body like confetti. What the hell happened? said Jugular. Princess Bite's life was delicately suspended by three threads, vulnerable to her words. I am undone. I am, said Princess Bite. Two threads remained, fraying. What did Biffo do to you? I told her to take it easy. We all did. Jugular rushed to Princess Bite's side. Princess Bite shook her head uncomfortably. "'Hi, Jugular,' called out Lady Shove, her voice crisp and cheery, words flowing without need of imagination. "'It's amazing. I thought I'd be wrecked for weeks, but instead I feel amazing. I feel—' Lady Shove walked out onto the veranda, her face warmed by a healthy pink, her movements fluid and easy. She stopped suddenly, her voice cold. "'Who did this to you?' "'I am undone,' said Princess Bite." She felt the second string snap. "'What happened?' said Lady Shove. "'I wasn't meant to be,' said Princess Bite. "'I am a dream that costs too much.' "'Who says?' "'I swore to save you by sky, by speed of skates, by rugged track. "'Look at how much better you feel. "'I swore. "'I... Am Lady Shove took Princess Bite's hand in hers. She traced the transparencies, ran her fingers over blue vein and fragile bone. She spoke softly. You idiot. It feels incredible to wake without pain, to have thoughts that aren't clouded by pain, 
to have movements that are mine and not some shaking mannequin. But I want you to live. I want you to have big fat roller babies. Jugular snorted loudly, then covered her mouth and nose with both hands. Lots of fat roller babies, so our name lives forever. I don't know where you got that martyr complex, but cut it out, said Lady Shove. Princess Bite pulled her hand slowly from her mother's grasp. I destroyed all the pictures. I'm unraveling. Princess Bite picked at the corners of her diamond patterned quilt, uncertain whether it was the threads coming undone or her fingertips. It's all over now. Princess Bite felt the strange euphoria, knowing it was all out of her hands, knowing she need not care any more. Bullshit! said Lady Shove. Bullshit! Jugular, call the girls. We've got a player to haul together. We need replacement photos where we can, and we'll sticky tape, staple, draw, and glue where we can't. Every piece, every single damn piece we're gonna fix. Princess of mine, I need you to show me every photo you broke. But you'll... I'll be a cripple? Slowly dying? I know, I've had practice. Can you not remind me? We're sharing a moment of mother-daughter caring and self-sacrifice in the correct order. I'm older. I call the shots. I decide. That's, that's life, so deal with it. Lady Shove began tidying the wreckage, stacking the loose photographs into neat piles, brushing away flecks of ash with her hands. Did you really have to wreck this photo? Really? Princess Bite felt her stomach churn and her heart thudder in new, painful ways. I'm sorry, I just... It's okay, said Lady Shove, squeezing Princess Bite's shoulder. I love you, too. During the day, players came from miles around to stitch back together the broken photographs. Some were sewn together with brightly colored pieces of mismatched wool, other irreplaceable photos had smiling faces drawn in with crayon or finely pointed graphite. Every photograph was restored. No photograph was the same again. Fierce Fairy arrived in the late afternoon with a small pop. Lady Shove was in the kitchen washing teacups. She didn't look up. That was a bitch of a thing to do, Fierce. I may never forgive you. You can't hate me for trying. Yes, I fucking can. You tried to kill my daughter. Only a little. I didn't expect her to follow through. Who'd expect her to follow through? You would have if you hadn't waltzed off to sulk in your ivory tower. Well, no harm done. No harm. You've used my daughter to ransack and trash decades of happy memories. You've got other albums. Not like that one. Never again like that one. I'm going to have control of my body torn away soon, Fierce, and you've taken one of my most precious comforts and trashed it. Trashed it! Trashed her! Lady Shove. No, fuck off! You don't get to talk to me and mine anymore. Lady Shove's hand spasmed and a teacup fell to the ground. Lady Shove bent over her shaking arms, felt the tremor grow and pain suck oxygen from her lungs. Fierce Fairy walked away, out onto the veranda and down the stairs. Princess Bite was propped up on the couch. Biff, jugular, and Icy sat on the veranda a small distance away, sifting gray photo ash through their fingers. Princess Bite grabbed Fierce Fairy's arm, her hand glowing at the points of contact. I'm re-raveling. I can feel it. Yes, and good for you. And by the time I'm whole, she'll be broken again. Yes. I want a wish. You still want to barter with me? 
fierce fairy laughed. You're brave. I want there to be a day, just one day of overlap, where she's full of life and so am I. What will you give me for it? Forgiveness? I like the sound of that. Pity it's not yours to give. But you know it will help. I'll need something more. I don't know. Bad-smelling feet? Fierce Fairy snorted. Bad-smelling feet? Princess Bite shrugged her shoulders and smiled, a tired reincarnation of a gap-toothed child that was once in a photo. Fierce Fairy twitched her mouth reluctantly. It'll be bad. Bad even for a derby girl. How bad are we talking about? Socks and nose-plugs in bed if you have company. Bad enough to kill small birds? Only if they're really small. Five years max, then the smell fades. Twenty. Ten. Hmm. Ten. And your roller skates. All of them for all time? said Princess Bite, her face flinching as if slapped. No. Just your best and bravest. Done. Princess Bite and Lady Shove skated around the track arm in arm. They delighted in the dance of a derby, and as a mother-daughter duo, backed up by Icy, Biffo, and Jugular, joyfully crushed the other teams. And for one perfect day all was well, and as it should be. They had fresh memories to draw on in the days to come, time, wish, and consequence carved into them for better and worse. And somehow, though it wasn't always easy, they lived happily ever after. And welcome back. Sacrifices and wishes are a bedrock of the fantasy genre. How far would you go to save a loved one, and what would you give up? I liked how the wish and sacrifice with this one, at least from Lady Shove's point of view, was all about not saving a loved one, but creating one. I have to admit, I've never read a story quite like this before, and one of the things I love the most about this one is the awesome roller derby community. The strong sense of camaraderie. Often competitive, but always there for you. Unless we're talking about Fierce Fairy, who would like to wish you were never wished into existence. You know, those are going to be some pretty stinky feet. That's rivalry. But let's hear from our community now and do feedback for Eliah Don Johnson's Our Changing Bodies, read by, as fate would have it, Tina Connolly. A gross-out comedy about vampires, PMS, and ookie cookies. Lots of feedback on this one. A couple of people were so sufficiently grossed out, so much so that they couldn't enjoy the story in the least. Others, like Canasta, thought they might have enjoyed it more if they'd actually fit the young adult demographic, which, you know, fair enough. I also got a recipe from listener Eric Lang over Twitter about deep-fried Scottish pizza, which, well, considering some of the content of that particular story, is pretty damn funny, but... Also made me wonder how worried I should be when people offer to bring me food at cons from here on out. Recipes, though, I'm thinking are okay. And Devoted135 accused us of exploring the Drabblecast crypts to run it. Hey, I didn't know Norm had crypts. Rat said, I saw this story as a lesson in how boys and girls can survive adolescence to become strong, compassionate adults. 
It's like an antidote to the more harmful yet often more commonly told story in our culture. Bear with me as I delve into the metaphors. The boys, sexuality, vampirism, left unchecked can turn them into potential rapists, but this same sex drive can urge them to seek to understand the primal forces of the female world beyond the superficial, symbolized by menstruation, which gives them back their humanity towards girls and balances their otherwise harmful urges. The girls learn that every part of themselves is useful, from the extreme of Alice to the extreme of Sonya, who act in the story as different aspects of Judy's persona. I think if you focus on the grossness of the story, you're forgetting that sex of varying kinds and bloods also of varying kinds are often part of being an adult. Finally, I think Judy is one of the healthiest examples of a heroine I've ever heard in a story. I'm curious to read more by the author. Thanks so much for those comments. Please skate on over to our own personal roller derby, aka forum.escapeartist.net, and let us know what you thought of this week's story. And if you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Your donations make our wishes come true, because it allows us to pay our authors and bring you the best in fantasy fiction and all its varieties, week after week. And apparently pays for turning Hobson into a robot, so hey, everybody wins. I'll have to see if I can get in on that retirement plan. Anyway, if you can't make a donation, please blog, tweet, or tell a friend about us, or even write a review on iTunes, because those make me happy. I just went over there, and but this nickname is Taken's review made me even happier. It's a great way to spread the word about our little podcast, too. Thanks. A very special thanks to listener Suzanne Cambera of Australia, who's our featured donor of the week. Suzanne made me smile when she donated because she mentioned that she often finds herself sitting in the car parks after her commute, watching the sun go up, to finish listening to Podcastle Stories. We hope you continue to find awesome authors to explore, Suzanne, and that all your wishes come true. That's our show for the week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, robotic co-host MK Hobson, Scourge of the Slush Rink, and Lecky, Rock and Roller Derby sound producer Peter Wood, and your MCs, Anna Schwind and myself, thank you so very much for letting all of us share another story with you. We'll be back in a week with, oh yeah, a guns and sorcery story by Levi Tedar. Until then, skate or die. We'll see you next time. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartists.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. T.S. Eliot said, Sometimes things become possible if we want them bad enough.